from WHQR Public Media, this is the Newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman. Thanks for listening to a special edition for the 2023 Wilmington City Council election. On this show, an interview with challenger David Joyner. He's an assistant district attorney in Ben David's office and leads the local recovery court, which offers probationary sentences and treatment in lieu of prison time for those with substance use disorders. Joyner is an eighth generation North Carolinian. He also volunteers with the Cape Fear River Watch, and he's an Eagle Scout. While the Wilmington City Council race is technically nonpartisan, Joyner is running with the support of the new Hanover County Democratic Party. We'll also have a link to Joyner's campaign site on our show page. We asked Joyner a host of questions, largely drawn from our community agenda program, and we'll have info about that as well. David Joyner, candidate for Wilmington City Council, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So before we get into the questions that we have pulled from our community agenda, I want to ask you first, what do you think are the biggest issues facing Wilmington and how would you tackle them? Definitely housing affordability is at the top of my list, um, protecting our environment, protecting our waterways, wetlands, and you know, having a meaningful environmental agenda is a really big part of why I'm running in this race. Transportation is a big issue, and I'm the only candidate who works full-time in public safety. I'm an assistant district attorney, so that's at the top of my list as well. Going through and sort of talking about how you address each of those things in turn, I guess I'll go in reverse order. So I am an assistant district attorney. I work for our elected DA in um, New Hanover County and Pender County, Ben David. And my caseload is here local to Wilmington, and I prosecute firearms offenses, violence against women, and impaired driving cases. In fact, earlier today, I was in a jury trial for a domestic violence, um, violence against women case, and we'll go back tomorrow for um, closing statements first thing in the morning. Um, So I want to bring that perspective and that um, experience to our conversation about policing and public safety in Wilmington, um, because as I mentioned, I'm the only candidate who works full time in public safety. Um, Interestingly, I've had a great opportunity to work with our community recovery courts, our veterans treatment courts, which are programs that are um, unfortunately unique because I think they should be more widespread, but we're fortunate to have them here in New Hanover County, which allow folks who are involved in the justice system because of a substance use disorder, so because they're battling addiction, um, to get into a probationary sentence. So these are people who might be picking up multiple DWIs. They might be stealing to support a habit, but it's clear based on both what we've seen from their record and from a substance use disorder diagnosis that really but for addiction, they would not be in the criminal justice system. And so my role in that as a prosecutor is A, to hold folks accountable for criminal conduct, that's important, and B, to make sure that we can get them onto a probationary sentence where they have a probation officer who can make sure that they're getting counseling, they're getting addiction treatment, they're getting assisted or medically assisted step-down treatment. They have education and employment opportunities. We can get them, if they need housing, into a sober living halfway house. Um, And I'm really proud to be the founder of our Veterans Treatment Court, the founding prosecutor for that, which we started just this year um, and have already seen several, um, right now just gentlemen, but but we, we can expand as we continue to grow. Um, get involved in that and have a, a liaison and outreach with the VA, with the County Veterans Affairs Program to sort of wrap them around and make sure that they're getting the services that they need, the services that they're entitled to because of the service that they've given to our country. 
Um, so that's sort of a, a broad picture on my work in, in public safety and why I think it's important to have somebody with that background um, on city council. Because as we know, we just have so many vacancies in the Wilmington Police Department right now. We've got to make sure that we're being competitive when we're um, competing with, with surrounding agencies and making sure that we're bringing the best people to Wilmington and really making sure that we're recruiting the best people in Wilmington. Because I believe firmly in the best practice of community policing, that when you have people who live and work in their community, that's who you want in sworn law enforcement because they understand the nuances, they have relationships, um, and it, it just leads overall to better policing. Switching gears a little bit to talk about affordable housing, I also talk about first responders when I'm talking about affordable housing because my focus is on workforce housing. So can our first responders, our nurses, and our teachers who are working in Wilmington afford to live in Wilmington? Because if the answer to that question is no, then we don't have affordable housing. We're, we're pushing people who are part of core, important, vital services out into surrounding communities so when I talk about workforce housing, when I talk about workforce housing, I'm talking about uh, making sure that our first responders, teachers, and nurses can afford to live in Wilmington. Because if we're pushing out those core services and saying, well, we want you to commute in pretty much every day, not actually live here, um, that's a problem. We don't have affordable, affordable housing until we can tackle the workforce housing solution. Like I said, with community policing, it's important to have folks who live and work and know our community in those roles. That goes for teachers. That goes for folks who are working in our healthcare systems. Um, I'm the son of two retired public school teachers. My parents both spent their entire careers um, as public educators in North Carolina. I went to North Carolina public schools from my first day of kindergarten until the day that I graduated college. And I know firsthand that having folks who are invested in their community, who live and uh, are in the same neighborhoods as the students that they're teaching, is foundational to making sure that you have those positive relationships and, and have a firm footing for education too. So let's get into affordable housing because I think a lot of the people we've spoken to in the community would agree with you. That is top of mind for folks. Rent has gone up over 53% over the last two years, two or three years. Do you think the city is doing enough? Do you think you would do things differently than what the city is doing? I think that we're taking a lot of good steps when it comes to gap financing and making sure that, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to write realtors and developers a blank check. And I'm pretty firm about that, and I've been pretty clear that that's my stance. At the same time, we know that we are tens of thousands of units short in this region when it comes to actually getting us into a place where we have enough housing for the folks who live here and for sort of balancing out and evening out affordable housing prices and getting us out of the crisis that we're in. Um, Wilmington is on the map. We've been discovered. There's no going back and saying, all right, nobody's ever going to come here. You can't come here. We're close to business. That's just unrealistic. And, and the folks who are making those arguments, whether they make it in jest or, or in seriousness, they're just not in touch with what's happening. So we know that we're going to continue to grow. So I think that we do need to make sure, A, foundational for me is that we are protecting our environment. I mean, are we protecting our waterways, our wetlands, and um, making sure that we have access to, to clean water, and that our developing and our building doesn't ruin that and just you know tear all those efforts to shreds so making sure that when we build we are having rigorous conversations about protecting our environment and our tree canopy making sure those are foundational to our regulations about building and zoning in wilmington and then once we get past that step to say we do need to commit to building with greater density we do need to commit to building higher and a lot of people are afraid that that means more apartment buildings and high-rises 
I don't think it has to mean that. I think there are other kinds of projects. I think there are other kinds of models that we can do that do increase density. I'm talking about townhomes, row homes, things of that nature, um, but also respecting voters and respecting existing neighborhoods and existing communities and being willing to push back when people are trying to make these gigantic leaps about zoning and saying, no, we have a strategic, we have a strategic plan about what kind of development what kind of development needs to go where. We have a strategic plan that tells us what fits and what doesn't. So when we're doing this infill development, we're not just fundamentally disrespecting the people who already live here. So two things to follow up on that, um, because these conversations are definitely ones we're hearing in our community. One is housing experts tell us along the lines that you're discussing, denser, more vertical development is necessary just to generate the staggering number of units this community needs right. all across the AMI, everything from luxury to workforce to affordable to subsidized everything. So where, where can that go? I mean, where does that denser, more vertical development go in the city of Wellington? I think when you're driving around downtown, how many vacant lots do you see? How much gray space, not green space, how much gray space do you see? And do we have opportunities there for growth? Because that is an area of town that can grow vertically and can grow vertically very quickly. So I'm interested in what that looks like. I'm interested in how we do some um, infill housing of the projects I described earlier about townhomes, row homes, things that are not three or more stories, but, but do get us denser and, and more vertical. Filling in some neighborhoods um, with that kind of housing. And then fundamentally respecting commercial space, and, and by that I mean not putting commercial buildings in residential areas because then you change the character of that area and you can't build residential, you can't build more densely and more vertically when it comes to residential builds in those areas. So um, making sure that you're being listening, making sure that you're being responsive to folks who come into city council and who come to these um, development hearings and are vocal and say, this is what this neighborhood needs, this is what this neighborhood does not. And you know, I, I go to those hearings and, and I think there's a big case of, everybody wants to point fingers and say, well, you're just being a NIMBY about it. You're just saying not in my backyard. No, people come and they express their opinions and even if they're against a project, they can articulate why and they can help you understand what needs to change. So making sure that we can explain to folks who are building, who are developing, um, what projects need at their core. And to me, some of the things that they need at their core are EV charging stations. That's one place we could start. Um, making sure that we're responsive to those needs is just one way to do this in a way that's respectful for the people who already live in Wilmington, respectful to the people who already live in existing neighborhoods who don't want to see their character change, but understand as we all do, every reasonable person in Wilmington understands that we're going to continue to grow. The other thing you mentioned, which a lot of um, city planners have, have talked to us about, is that missing middle, the, those, mm -hmm. those townhomes, quadruplexes, stuff that is not the hulking apartment complex that some people are afraid of, but not single family quarter acre lots. Right. Do you think the city's doing enough to sort of promote that kind of housing or could it do more? Well, I think the city can do a lot more when it comes to affordable housing and to hitting that target. Um, I think it's important for us to say when we're looking at these big projects so much when we're talking about gap financing, 
unfortunately, we are talking about the high rises. We are talking about these massive apartment buildings. And so if we're just telling developers, hey, come to city council and, for, and ask for gap financing for these massive, massive projects, that doesn't incentivize people to build it in these smaller ways. When, when we're talking about townhomes and, um, and the smaller developments that can, can be apartment homes, but are not these high rises that are changing the character of neighborhoods. So as a city councilor, I'm going to be interested in how we can have those conversations to actually make sure that that's the kind of development that we're doing when we do develop. Um, and also looking to see, are they actually natives to Wilmington or are these people coming in from New York and other states? I mean, we had somebody who just came in and got a massive project approved that's based in Indiana. So I'm interested in what local developers who know about Wilmington, who know the character of the people here, who know what we need because they live here and experience it, what they're proposing and how we can support that kind of development. You're talking about the character of a neighborhood changing. So this is a major concern we heard, especially from the greater downtown Wilmington area. So I'm talking about Castle Street, um, the north side, what's now being called the Soda Pop District, mm -hmm. uh, the Cargo District. We hear from a lot of you know lower income, longtime neighbors, black and Hispanic, who feel both that the culture of their neighborhood is being irreparably changed, but also that they're going to get priced out. I mean, wh how do you sometimes? And sometimes we just put all this under the rubric of gentrification. So how do you think about that problem? When we're talking about gentrification, one of the biggest things that comes to mind for me are the conversations that I've had where people are living downtown or living in these neighborhoods that you've identified and are getting cold calls, letters in the mail, emails, very predatory, trying to get them to sell their homes for ridiculously low prices that if they accepted the offer, they would never be able to move across town. They would never be able to buy a house in New Hanover County. And that's disgusting. I mean, it, it's fundamentally predatory. It is disrespectful to the people who live in those neighborhoods. Now, the counterbalance to that is people should have the right to engage in property transactions. And, and I, certainly, I don't think anybody's proposing they shouldn't. But we do want to be careful when we're worried that people are being taken advantage of. So, you know, again, going back to my, my background working in the district attorney's office, fraud cases, um, especially when it comes to elder abuse, especially when it comes to fraud against seniors, um, it's oftentimes one of the most underreported things. And it's very hard to go after these bad actors if people are not reporting and are, and are not sharing their stories and are willing to, to help um, in the prosecution or to help in, you know, going after these bad actors. So one thing that we've always said is nobody wants to raise their hand and say, hey, I'm being taken advantage of. Nobody wants to raise their hand and say, hey, I was the victim of fraud because they're embarrassed, right? That's, that's a fundamental piece of, of how fraud works um, and how coercion, coercion works. And so we continue to say, if this is happening to you, we need you to speak out. If this is happening to you, we need to know so that we know who to push back and fight back against to stop these predatory things from happening. Now, obviously, I'm talking specifically specifically about criminal fraud, um, but I've found so many of the conversations that I'm having along this campaign, it rings true for folks who are experiencing these changes in these neighborhoods that you've been talking about, um, because we've, we've got to, to name and to call out um, what's happening and where it's coming from if there's anything that we want to do about it. We can really make a difference, I think, when it comes to heirs' properties, so properties where somebody owns, owns a piece of land or owns a house and dies and tests it, and then that gets divided through the um, intestate succession scheme that the state has um, to multiple heirs. And so eventually, you've got so many people who have an interest, a legal interest in a house, who are not living in that house, 
um, but have some form of legal interest in it, and it, it gets smaller and smaller with each generation because more people have an interest in it to, div to divide it by. Um, and it just sort of eventually culminates in pushing people out because their own va the, the value they have in the interest of their home doesn't actually allow them to continue to live there long term. And so people are incentivized to sell and people are incentivized um, to be pushed out. Again, as I said, nowhere else that they can go across town, nowhere else they can go in New Hanover County. Um, and so one of the things we can do is to try and work with folks who find themselves in that situation, try and be, be specific about the communities that we're working with to address that issue and to make sure that they do have estate planning resources, to make sure that they do have somebody who can help them navigate those processes so that years from now they don't run into those same issues and their, their relatives don't once they're gone. Okay. The most extreme side of the housing crisis is homelessness, you know. Yeah. Over the last couple of years, I think I've heard more conversations about it. The actual point in time count, you know, fluctuates year over year, but it's certainly been on the minds of a lot of the people that we've spoken with this year. With the understanding that the city is just one of many, you know, organizations, agencies, and nonprofit partners that is dealing with this, how do you see the city's role in helping people who are homeless? So you're right that this is foundational to our housing affordability crisis. Um, and I really get a little frustrated with this conversation when people say, you know, some people are homeless because they don't want help. And I just, it, it drives me nuts when I hear that. Um, that's just not compassionate. That's not kind. That's not what we, um, as, as folks who want to be on city council, should, should be bringing to the table. That's not a solution, right? Um, the answer to, to homelessness is housing. And, and we, we know pretty clearly all of the studies that have been done locally, all of the studies that have been done in the region and, and statewide and nationally, it, the evidence is pretty conclusive that when you have more houses on the market, when you have more um, units on the market, I should say, you can really make a difference when it comes to folks who are unhoused because you can drive down the cost of living. You can make it more accessible to get people into homes. And one of the big challenges that we've had as rent and as um, just you know prices in general continue to rise is that the amount of money that the city spends with some of our community partners on affordable housing and getting people to a place of housing stability, you know, a couple of years ago, they could do three times, they could make three times the difference with the same amount of money that we're spending now because prices are three times higher prices continue to rise. So as a city councilor, you know, I'm going to be committed to continuing to work with those community partners. I'm thinking of the Good Shepherd Center specifically, but of course there are a lot of different wonderful organizations working on this, on this issue in Wilmington. Um, I'm going to continue to partner with them. I'm going to continue to be an advocate um, for funding those because a little bit of money goes a long way when you're talking to those groups. But as we continue to see prices rise, obviously it's harder and harder to, to do the good work that they're doing at the scale they were doing it just a couple years ago. I feel like you're almost begging the question. So is this somewhere where the city needs to invest more? Yes. Okay, I want to pivot a little bit. And I think this is still related to the issue of how people live and get around Wilmington. And that is obviously traffic and, more importantly, public transportation. Something I've heard you speak about publicly before. Mm -hmm. So to start, the, uh, the quarter cent transportation tax did not pass during the last election, mm -hmm. WAVE is facing a, uh, a shortfall of federal funding in the coming years. It is not the city's sole responsibility, although in the past the city has more or less locally put WAVE on its back. Right. How do you think about the city's role with public transportation, and where would you like to see it go? 
Well, you're absolutely right that the city is the largest funder outside of the federal government of where wave funds come from. And what's crazy to me is that the second largest funder after the city is not the county. It's not New Hanover County. It's the university. So it's built into those student fees. It's built into the cost of um, college for UNCW students. And of course, we know that college affordability is also a hot topic um, that, that folks are worried about. Um, so I'm committed to our, our funding um, I'm committed to continuing funding to wave transit from the city. That's important. Uh, you know, the folks who need it most, I think, are in the city because that's where doctor's offices are. That's where people go to work. The, the bulk of New Hanover County, that's what's happening in city limits. So we've got to make sure that those routes are accessible to riders. We've got to make sure that those routes go to places that provide these essential services. We've got to make sure that these routes can get people to work. Um, you know, we've had a lot of success recently um, with the, the pilot sort of point-to-point -point program in the county where folks can do these virtual bus stops or these virtu virtual shuttle stops, and you can plan out a route for a pretty low cost. You can get somebody to pick you up at an appointed time, take you where you need to go, and that's all through public transportation. Um, that's fantastic if you don't live in the city and don't need to go somewhere in the city, because that obviously has not been expanded into the city. So I'm interested in learning from the successes of that and applying that to the city to see if that's the future of what wave transit is going to be. But for the time being, we know that that buses are massive, um, a massive form of transportation to the people who need them most, because at the end of the day, culturally, Wilmington is a passenger vehicle city. Um, if you don't have a, a vehicle in Wilmington, it's very hard to get around. I would really like to see us get away from that, and I understand that that's a long-term goal. Um, but what I mean by that is, number one, reconnecting us to Amtrak. I mean, that is some low-hanging fruit that everybody can get behind, and that's something that I'm going to fight for um, on Wilmington City Council, making sure that we can do that. The next piece is the rail realignment, making sure that that project is successful. We know that if we can divert rail and freight cargo out of downtown more efficiently, we're going to make it safer to commute downtown because we're going to free up um, rail crossings. We're going to have fewer um, actual rail crossings go down every day and have those trains coming through our city when people are commuting um, at the most busy times of day. And if we can successfully reroute that, that means that we've got track space to open up in the real long-term for potential light rail, which I think you, Wilmington is uniquely positioned to do because if we look at our peer cities in North Carolina, we've seen what Charlotte has done around light rail. We have seen what the triangle has failed to do around light rail and the successes and the failures there. When we look at how they apply to Wilmington, I think it's going to be a massive success here because we're not competing with other cities the way that the triangle is. It's a very um, local specific integrated transportation system within New Hanover County that we would have. And because we're on a peninsula and because we're on the coast, you really only have to go in one direction. So I'm excited about what that can be in the future. Understanding the importance of WAVE, are there other things you think the city could do to address our traffic woes? Well, we definitely, want to, we definitely want Wilmington to be a bikeable, walkable city. So anytime that we're approving projects, I'm going to be a big advocate for green space. I'm going to be a big advocate for a green way and making sure that um, we are a bikeable and walkable city. And when I say we're a bikeable city, paint is not infrastructure. Paint does not keep bikers safe. So just painting a bike lane on the side of the road is not actually a meaningful part of that conversation. We need designated biker spaces because I've had so many people tell me, hey, I am a cyclist. I enjoy doing this recreationally. I enjoy doing this to get around town. I would cycle if it wasn't so dangerous. <laughs> so if we can free up the space for them to do that, that's going to get people 
out of behind the wheel of their car, it's going to get additional vehicles off the road, um, and it's going to help us with some of our traffic problems. I know that every year, uh, for many years, the city of Wilmington had like a bike to work week, mm-hmm. and um, I'm just going to be candid with you. That felt insulting to some people who lived in areas for whom that would be almost a death sentence. Yeah. Um, so I, I, we have heard from a lot of people. That's one of the top things we've heard from the community is that that is more bikeability and more walkability beyond just the the downtown core, I think is important to people. Absolutely. And I'm really encouraged. You know, Wilmington has a lot of bike shops. We've got a lot of folks who are selling bicycles. We've got a lot of folks who are selling um, electric bicycles. And I think we really have an opportunity. We just need somebody on city council who's also (laughs) into that kind of transportation who can push that forward. Yeah. So I think that that comes up against uh, what you were talking about earlier in the city's, um, you know, environmental posture, you know, Mm -hmm. whether that's... um, you know, low emission buses or bikeability. What are your other thoughts on on that? Well, I'm a climate change candidate. It's the number one reason that I vote. It's the number one reason that I'm running for public office this time around. Um, all of any anything that I have learned about how to campaign or how to do this has been because I volunteered for other candidates. And the reason I volunteered for those candidates is because they had a vision on the environment. And I think, you know, I'm 29 years old. I'm the youngest candidate in the race. It is a generational issue. Young people are very motivated about the environment because we're very worried about the environment. Um, and I think, you know, the issues that we've had with the Cape Fear River and our water systems have made Wilmingtonians of all political parties, of, of, of every perspective, of all walks of life, more sensitive to these issues and to understand this matters, this affects us at every level. So I am running pretty, pretty forward on a, on a climate agenda and saying there's a lot more that the city can be doing. So making sure, again, walkable, bikeable cities, that's top of mind, um, holding polluters accountable, making sure that that's top of mind. We have a climate plan and a climate strategy for the city, making sure that we're holding city leaders accountable to actually implementing that, making sure that we, if I'm on city council, being a city leader, being accountable to that. And like I said, when we talk about development, housing affordability, and building, making sure that we're not destroying our tree canopy, making sure that we're not building on our wetlands. Um, and of course, you know, you have to throw in the, the the changes that have come with even the definition of the word wetland because of recent Supreme Court decisions that are anti-environment. I was thinking about, actually, before I came here today, I knew that we would talk about the environment because I was going to bring it up if you didn't. Um, and I was trying to think, you know, how do you frame somebody who's anti-environment? I don't know if there's a word for it the way that there are for some other topics, but I, I guess you just call it anti-environment. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard it uh, pro-jobs, pro-industry, pro-development. Well, pick your pick your name. Well, I think that's a total misnomer for Wilmington. I, I understand that argument in other communities, but Wilmington, we have a complete opportunity that is just going untapped when it comes to solar energy, wind energy, kinetic energy, thermal energy, and in the intercoast in, in wind energy, solar energy, kinetic energy, thermal energy in the intracoastal waterway. That we are the only place in North Carolina that can do this the way that we truly have an opportunity to, and so um, it. it I push back on that pretty strongly. One of the ways that we can tap into that is a big part of, I think, city council's responsibility is around jobs and making sure that we're recruiting the right businesses to come to Wilmington. We're promoting um, the right businesses being in and staying in Wilmington. We're working with small business owners who are already here. We're protecting jobs that are already here. And so I've identified, you know, the green rush that's happening nationwide as something that needs to come to Wilmington because of how uniquely positioned we are on these topics. One of the things that I would bring to the table, you know, all of our public universities, all of our colleges in North Carolina 
have these sort of innovation lab incubators where they're working with students who want to open a small business. They've got an idea for um, a business or, or an industry that they want to go into, but they don't know how to launch it. And so you have these um, hubs on these college campuses, including right here at UNCW, that are helping students get that business acumen to do it. I want Wilmington to be tapped into every single one of those to let people know Wilmington is open for business. Wilmington is open for business for the next generation that's getting ready to graduate because I know that those are the people who, who are motivated on climate. And if we can let them know that Wilmington is open for business and we are going to be the hub for them in North Carolina, that boon is just waiting to happen. So I want to see if I can sharpen some of those points up because they definitely seem to line up with some of the things we've heard from our community. One, when we're talking about um, alternative and green energy sources. Are these things you're talking about the city directly getting involved in or working with you know, regional partners or lobbying the state? How does that work from your point of view? When you're talking about, say, you know, solar or you know, wind? What I'm talking about is incentivizing businesses in those spaces to want to be in Wilmington. Um, and to make sure that when Wilmington, when, when city government is spending money in the future on city properties, when Wilmington city government is spending money in the future on our fleet, making sure that we are doing so in a way that is mindful about climate and mindful about what we need to do over the next several decades. Because, you know, you mentioned earlier the low emissions buses. Well, those buses are still hundreds of thousands of dollars. So by no means am I proposing that we take our current buses off the road just because they're not low emissions. What I'm saying is in the future, when it comes time to replenish those fleets, to either add buses to them or to replace a bus that needs to come off the streets, we need to make sure that we're doing so in a way that is going to promote clean energy moving forward, that we can stop pollution moving forward. Nobody is proposing that we just take every vehicle off the streets today. Nobody is proposing that we just switch, you know, flip the switch on, on energy sources today. It is 100% about a transition. But what I'm saying is that the time to transition is here, and we have to be a part of that. Um, you know, we've, we're looking long term at our infrastructure around wastewater and stormwater. And when we build our next wastewater and stormwater plant, that infrastructure is designed to last for at least 50 years. So if we are going to build something that doesn't include methane capture, if we are going to build something that is not designed to be environmentally friendly and sustainable, what you're saying is for the next 50 years, we're just going to not address this issue. And I want to be thoughtful about how we start addressing that now and how every time we have to take a step forward, we're also making an, an investment in our future and our environment. So I think this, you, you mentioned, you know, economic development and bringing the right kind of jobs, the green rush, the uh, the blue economy, I've also heard. Yes. Um, so how do you feel about the city's current economic development efforts? And, you know, if it were up to you, if you could give marching orders to the city's economic development organizations, what would those marching orders be? I think step number one is to work with the businesses that we have here. So just as I'm the son of two public school teachers, I'm the grandson of a electrician and a plumber on either side of the family who each started their own business. So I've seen what goes into starting a small business. I've seen what goes into running a small business. Um, I used to plumb. <laughs> that was my summer job and my Saturday job growing up with my grandfather. And so I would go out with him um, working in that field, and then I'd come home and in the evenings go over the books with my grandma. So I've seen um, – the ways that small businesses really are, are the backbone of a community and of an economy. And so number one is to work with the folks who are here, who have launched businesses here, who are building businesses here, and who make Wilmington what it is. So number one is working with them, respecting them, and making sure that we're incentivizing them to stay here, especially when they get big. When they get big, we want them to stay here and to continue to have jobs here and continue to promote growth here, um, economic growth. I think, like I said, 
who do we go out and get? That's the that's sort of the strategic question, and I think that's the conversation that we as a city have to have to figure out what we want to be, who we want to be as a city. Do we want to go after um, these big, massive industries and sort of put all of our eggs in one basket to say we're just going to bring this huge company to Wilmington and they're going to hire, you know, a thousand people and that's sort of going to be the lid on our economic development this year? I don't think that's the right strategy. I think that you have to cast a wider net. I think that you can focus on an industry. Again, I propose that it needs to be the green, uh, the green rush, the the blue economy. Um, but I think that you have to cast a wider net and make sure that you're bringing in jobs. A that you've got investments in more than one place, and B, that you're responsive to the skills of the people who live here. One of the number one conversations that I have in this election cycle is, what are we doing about trades? What are we doing about folks who want to work in um, traditional trades? And do we have enough of that in our school system? Do we have folks who are going out and becoming electricians, folks who are becoming plumbers, welders? And we've got to make sure that we're, we're looking out for not only the folks who work in those industries now, but what are, where are those industries going to be in 10 years when people retire, when people age out, when people sell their businesses? Because we've, I mean, we've got to have those just for the functioning of our city. Just to be clear, when you're talking about incentivizing, are we talking about like the traditional incentive packages that the city and county have passed in the past, or are you talking about something else? I'm talking about where those incentive packages need to go. So, so reaching out and saying that if that's how we're going to incentivize people to be here, these are the kinds of groups that we need to be here. This needs to be our strategy, casting a wide net, um, focusing on an industry rather than a specific company or a specific business. Um, but it also is important that we make sure that folks know if they are going to pick up and move to Wilmington, if they are going to start a business here, if they are going to uh, transition a business here to grow, um, that Wilmington's a place that they can do that, that Wilmington's a place that has the infrastructure, that Wilmington's a place that has the housing, which right now we don't, that Wilmington's a place that is a safe place to live. If we do have a high quality of life, we do have good schools. One thing you, you mentioned earlier about protecting what's left of our, our green space and our mm -hmm. tree cover. One of the questions I get a lot is about things like developers being able to pay into the tree mitigation fund to cut down additional trees or clear cutting, you know, whether it's live oaks or, um, you know, longleaf pines and then replanting other authorized trees. I think the clear cutting of the center point um, tract of land that's over by Eastwood and Military Cutoff really struck people because it's it's a, quite a jarring visual. You know, there was a forest there, and now there is a flat concrete slab. Yep. Do you think the city's approach to you know tree mitigation and tree protection is is tough enough? No, we need to more, we need to be a lot more rigorous. All right, last question from our from our community surveys, and that is about public safety. Uh, which you've spoken about. But in your role as a city council member overseeing the Wilmington Police Department, we're asking candidates, how do you think the WPD is doing? I think the Wilmington Police Department is doing a great job of keeping Wilmingtonians safe. I think they're doing a great job of responding to calls for service. They're doing a great job. Oh, my gosh, they're doing a great job when it comes to DWIs and, and getting folks who are a danger to our roads off the roads. Um, but we also know we've got a lot of vacancies. We also know that that's one of the biggest problems that we face um, for for community best practices, for, for community policing. Um, I'm really interested in what we can do with some of those vacancies as we try and recruit more law enforcement. And law, you know, law enforcement retention and employment is down nationwide. I mean, it's it's just a field that a lot of people are not going into at the moment. And so 
even when you're recruiting people, first of all, you've got to get them trained for basic law enforcement training. Then you've got to get them trained in the department they're going to go and work in. And both of those processes are designed to weed people out. So even when you're recruiting new people, you know that not all of those folks are going to transition into being sworn law enforcement, badged, armed on the street. So what I'm interested in, what are we going to do with some of these vacancies while we know we're going to have vacancies? Because it's not like we can just hire 40 new people tomorrow. I'm really interested in can we use some of these spaces in ways that we've seen some of our peer cities in North Carolina, especially Durham, um, hiring folks who are doing direct contact with unhoused populations, doing direct contact with people who appear to be nonviolent but are having a mental health episode. Um, Because those people already exist. I mean, folks who are trained for those roles already exist. We're talking about social workers. We're talking about mental health workers. Um, They don't have to go through basic law enforcement training because they're not going to be carrying a firearm. Um, So while we have those vacancies and know that they're existing vacancies, what can we do with a a handful of those positions to see if we can solve some of these other problems we've been talking about? So instead of relying on the county social workers, you would transition some of the personnel slots in WPD into, you know, public outreach, social work, mental health, whatever the the task required. We know that we've seen success in other North Carolina police departments that have done that, and I'm really interested in if that's something that we can bring here, how we can follow that model and see if it would work for us. All right. Well, those are our questions from our community survey. Before I let you go, and you've been very generous with your time, thank you. Uh, Closing thoughts. Well, number one, thanks for having me. I mean, this has been a great conversation. I'm really interested about where the future of Wilmington goes. I'm, you know, I'm a lifelong Eastern North Carolinian. I'm committed to making sure that that Wilmington grows in the right ways and makes sense for the people who live here and especially for the younger generation who are going to be here for the next several decades. Um, And I'm really excited for this campaign. Everybody's been really great. I think it's been for 99%, it's been a positive, uplifting campaign that's run about issues. People have different visions and policies and ideas for Wilmington. And so I just want to encourage everybody to get out and vote. Early voting starts on October 19th. Election day is November 7th. And don't forget, it's the first year of voter ID. Well, David Joyner, candidate for Wilmington City Council, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was our interview with challenger David Joyner, who is running for Wilmington City Council. I'm Ben Schockman. Thanks for listening to this special edition of The Newsroom, and check out our other candidate interviews at whqr.org or wherever you get The Newsroom as a podcast.